Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was a quarterback in the NFL for eight seasons. He played for the Green Bay Packers, Denver Broncos, Cleveland Browns, and San Diego Chargers. He was a first-round selection in the 1967 NFL-AFL Draft, 25th overall by the defending Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers. He served as Bart Starr's backup in Green Bay for four seasons, although he was in the U.S. Navy in 1968 and wasn't activated until hours before the season finale in mid-December. He was a member of the 1967 NFL Championship Packers, who won what has been immortalized as the Ice Bowl and is considered one of the greatest games in NFL history, as well as the 1968 Super Bowl. Two champion Packers, Super Bowl two, the champion Packers, is a thrill to welcome Don Horn to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Don. Hey, hey, thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, young man. And uh, I was not in the Navy, I was in the Army. I was in the Army. In the Army, <laughs> right. Okay, exactly, right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, U.S. Army in 1968, right? Uh, That's correct. Before we Boy. talk about your relationship with Bart Starr, who we lost uh, two weeks ago, let's talk about your amazing career. You were a two-sport star at Gardenia High School in Los Angeles, where you started both in football and baseball. What made you go the football route as opposed to baseball? You know, it's it just a feeling I had. My, my dad grew up with Disney and Paul Dean down in Arkansas, and he was a semi-pro baseball player, and and he always wanted me to play baseball. Actually, I grew up with a guy named Doc Ellis. If you ever heard who that uh, yeah, that name, yes, yeah. yep, absolutely, yeah. Remember his yeah, Doc and I, Doc and I grew up together and played baseball all through, uh, you know, all through Pony League, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Babe Ruth High School, whatever. But when I was a senior in in, uh, in high school, I decided. Uh, um, actually, I had a I had a couple of my coaches. One of them ended up going up. Uh, he was our coach at high school. In high school, and he ended up going up to the University of Oregon and coached uh, coached a guy in college up there named Dan Fouts. So I ended up backing <laughs> out, uh, backing up with my my last year in the NFL with the Chargers. But uh, yeah, my coach told me he said I threw the ball when I was a junior in high school. He thought I threw the ball better than eighty five percent of the college quarterbacks at that time. And he thought my future might be. And by, it was just a just a feeling that I had. I just love football more than baseball. I don't know why. What position did you play in baseball? I, oh God, I, I played every position except uh, except second base, and I love catching. I used to catch Doc all the time, and I'd get upset at him. I'd call timeout. I'd go up to the up to the mound, and, and and you know we'd have some arguments and stuff, and I'd want him to throw a curve or a slider, and he'd insist he could throw a fastball. You know, he always said he could throw a fastball past God, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I used to love to catch. I used to love to catch because you you kind of controlled the whole game, much like the quarterback. Quarterback, right? It's interesting. The, the yeah. whole the whole game is right in front of you. You're sitting there. You're talking to the up. You're talking to the ball. You know every. You know you're you're, you're part of every play of the game. And I just love catching. Now you you end up going to college to what is would now be called a D two school. How different was it then? Because they had quite quite a coaching staff on this D two team. How? was the competition deciding where to go to college, whether, you know, now it's a, they took a big-time Division One programs and then Division Two and one AA, you know, not the same. How much was that a fact of where you went, what was, you know, big-time, well, not big-time? I, you know, I grew up in, um, in, in the L.A. area. I always wanted to go to SC, and, and uh, at the last minute, SC kind of pulled my uh, – 
pulled my scholarship. They wanted me to go to a junior college. Uh, and that was kind of an ego blow to me. Uh, and, of course, back in those days, you know, the freshmen couldn't even play varsity ball. And they, you know, they wanted me to go to junior college and get some more playing experience, et cetera. So my ego was hurt, so I ended up going to Washington State University uh, up in the Palouse Hills up north and played at that time for a quarterback coach uh, because I was, you know, I was kind of a pure passer, you know, always have been. And he was the best quarterback uh, tutor on the West Coast at that time, a guy named Jim Sutherland. Anyway, um, played freshman ball up there. He got fired after that year. Went through uh, spring ball uh, the following spring at Washington State. We had a big, a big running back named Clarence Williams, Clancy Williams. Ended up playing a uh, defensive back for the Rams for years. He could run like a deer, and uh, and all they wanted the quarterback to do up there at Washington State uh, was be a third pulling guard, take the snap, pitch it to him in the eye formation, and with two guards leading around one or the other, and. Uh, couple of the scouts up there, and then there was a guy named Keith Lincoln, who was the running back from the Chargers, uh, came up to me, and, and he would spend he, he'd spend his offseason up there, and he'd say, Don, you got some talent. You know, you got to get out of here. You're going to die up here if you don't want a chance to show your ability. So I transferred schools, went to a junior college in L.A., had all kinds of offers to go around the country. At that time, I was going to go to Florida State, and um uh, and, and follow up after Steve Kinsey and Blitnikoff just left. Then a young coach came uh, came to me uh, unexpectedly, a guy named Don Coriel, division like I said, a Division two school, and he said, uh, you know, you got to come down to San Diego State. Uh, wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, you know, I said I'm going to Florida State. He says, no, it's way across the country. You know, come down to Florida. I mean, come down to San Diego State. See what we have. We have beaches down here. We have pretty girls, etc. Whatever. And <laughs> so. So I said, yeah, I wouldn't, he, he wouldn't take no for an answer, Mark. So I got in the car and, with him and drove down there and walked in his little office, about a 10 by 10, by 10 square foot room. Never will forget this. Walked in his little room in there, and there was a big kind of a heavy set guy standing in the corner who was an assistant uh, DMC coordinator for San Diego State named John Madden. There was another guy in the other corner who was an assistant coach at that time for the San Diego Chargers named Chuck Nolan. Uh, there was a young graduate assistant that ended up being my roommate for a while named uh, Joe Gibbs. Wow. And then there was a guy sitting at Don Corio's desk I recognized was Sid Gilman. Oh. And oh. anyway, so <laughs> after two or three days there, I called up Florida State and said, uh, no, nah, I'm staying here. But I want to tell you, we had uh, the San Diego State that year. I had never had more fun in my life playing for Don Corio. He was the greatest guy. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's such a great individual, um, you know, light years of, of, ahead of, of, of so many coaches that is, with his philosophy, of, you know, in the coaching tree and, and, and his passing tree, et cetera. And, um, um, I, you know. You mentioned I mean, those guys. I mean, and if you really think about it, Coriel, Madden, and Gibbs, you know, as a young man, you know, could you sense – how much football knowledge, how much innovation and leadership qualities those three guys had? I mean, as a kid, sometimes you, you don't soak that all in. Were, you know, how aware were you of how much those guys would impact football going forward? You know, that's a, you know, that, that's a good point, a good question. Um, I always thought Coriel had a little something extra there. I didn't know what it was. You know, John was just a good old, you know, just a good old grumpy defensive guy or whatever. 
But you know who impressed me the most once I, once we started practicing and once we got into the game situations, and, and he was a young kid at the time, was Joe Gibbs. Corey would be on the sidelines, you know, uh, you know, uh, raising heck, and then Madden would be over there raising heck, and and you know things get offhand, you know, a little upset from time to time. And the only one that kept us cool and seemed to be the catalyst in, in the whole operation was Joe Gibbs. I couldn't believe it. What a what a cool cucumber he was, and how knowledgeable he was, and what a great motivator he was. Amazing. He never never knew, and that was he was just a graduate assistant at that point. Right. Was, you know. Coaching, you know, a couple of years, and you know, in, into his uh, his career, um, it was just a just a great bunch of guys. I, t- you know, uh, Sint Gilman used to come out and coach us all the time, and then Al Davis. I got to know Al Davis real well. He used to coach us all the time. In our senior year, when we were national champions, Division Two. He coached us, and he told me more than, on more than one occasion. He said, Don, he says, believe me, he says, you guys got the best team on the West Coast. He says, I know, you know, I scout them all, you know, University of Washington, SC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal. And he says, pound for pound, our first 22 or 23 players, we could stay with anybody at that time on the West Coast, if not in the country. But if one of our starters went down, you know, we didn't have any depth. We didn't have any uh, scholarships to give out or whatever. But uh, pound for pound, we could stay with anybody in the country as long as no one got hurt. As a senior, you're all American, and one of your favorite targets was future NFL receiver Haven Moses, a former teammate of yours at Harvard Junior College, and a future teammate of yours with the Broncos. The two of you, in back-to-back years, both would be first-round picks. What made the chemistry between the two of you so good, and how did Coach Correll's offense complement that chemistry? Well, you know, <clears throat> Correll, Corey, you know, he believed, and he just believed in throwing the ball, and I have just music to my ears. He didn't care. You know, he he could you could be in the red zone first and go in the one yard line, and if you you know if you could call an audible throw the ball, he didn't care. He just wanted to score. As I always say, Coriel's philosophy was score early and score often, and his defensive philosophy was three and out, three and out. You know, give me the ball back and then three and out. But when you when you go out and play for Coriel at that time, all he asked all he asked you to do as a player was. He'd sit there and say, I want you to help me recruit your replacement. <laughs> I want you to help me recruit your replacement. And um, that year we lost a guy named Gary Garrison. Ended up going, you know, he was the opposite side of uh, Lance Allworth, Manby, uh, with the Chargers. And Gary didn't really, you know, really contribute, didn't really go out and um, search for his replacement. And so I'm. Um, Coriel was looking for and Gibbs, you know, who can we get when Rod Dower was our, our, he was the quarterback coach, pretty good coach too in the NFL and, and assistant coach with the Gibbs and the Redskins for years. And so they were brainstorming and I said, wait a minute, I played with a guy named Haven Moses up at Harbor last year and he's a hell of a, I mean, just a great athlete. He was a weak safety and a, um, and a wide receiver. He always wanted to be a wide receiver. He wanted to play more wide receiver he was our third wide receiver at Harvard, but he was our starting lead safety. And he had a two-year ride. He was given a two-year ride at SC to go play lead safety. And he was actually moving in with OJ um, at that time up to SC. He committed and go to SC. And I was telling those guys about him. And, uh, well, you know, there was a couple other things, too. But uh, make a long story short, they called him up. I called him up, and I said, Haven. 
you come down to San Diego State, I'll throw the ball to you 80, maybe 100 times. You play wide receiver, and you won't play weak safety unless you want to, but you'll play wide, you know, you'll catch the ball down here. And uh, whatever I said and whatever Coach Coriel said, Coach Madden said, uh, within a week or two, they actually drove up, I believe, to SC, picked him up, moved his clothes out of the apartment with OJ, and moved him down to San Diego. <laughs> Can't do that today, though. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right, you know, let's move on to your relationship with Bart Starr. You're 22 years old. You're the same age as Bart Starr was when he broke in as a rookie in 1956. Bart is now in his 12th NFL season, already one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. What's your first impression of him when you meet him? Just a true gentleman, um, um, you know, not not very loud and outspoken, but very calm and confident. And I always always admired Bart, just as a, you know, just watching him on TV from time to time. I always, you know, always been, you know, I was I grew up a Ram fan, but always my second favorite team was was the Packers for some crazy reason. And when I first met him, um, you know, I was drafted number one. I believe he was MVP of the league in '66. I believe I'm not sure, but um, all, you know, all of a sudden, boom! The Packers draft a quarterback number one when he's right on top of his game. And um, a lot of people have asked me over the last few weeks, um, you know, do you think he you know, had any had any animosity towards you? You know, for you know, or Vince or anybody from drafting me. And, and that was the furthest thing that I saw when I first met him. Um, I came into Green Bay. Uh, I started. I stayed. I, I came in a little early. In fact, two months early because I wanted to show Coach Lombardi I was really committed to make the team and and try to contribute, be part of a you know, be part of the Packers. And all of a sudden, I get a call from. I was there for a couple, two or three days. I get a call from Bart. He invited me to go out and be his guest at a local banquet, uh, I think a Boys and Girls Club banquet. Took me with him, introduced me, uh, you know, as the new uh, draft choice, et cetera. He was just a complete gentleman um, and always has been. Um, he, you know, I, I can't say enough about Bart. I mean, as, as fine and great a football player as he was on the field, he was even a, a better person off the field. You know what's so interesting, and I finally got the opportunity to go to a game in Lambeau Field, and you you have to really go to experience what the Packers mean to that area and, and the history of the Green Bay Packers. It's such an iconic football franchise. You even made mention to it, you know, that you, you, you follow them. They were your second favorite team, and you didn't even know why. It's just because they were the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, Bart, obviously, is one of the most beloved Packers of all time. While you were there, what did you see him mean to the community and the Packer fans at large? Well, he, you know, he, he would give so much back to the community, and and, and just, just just he would just give of himself every, every opportunity that he possibly could. He was always in demand. He was always doing doing something for some organization or entity or, or whatever. Um, I don't know where he found the time to do it. You know, he was a great family man. He had, you know, he had his two boys, you know, Brett and Bart at the time, and uh, his speaking engagements all over the state. Um, uh, he, he would just give back to the community, and then always had time, uh, you know, to um, to just, uh, you know, uh, he was never above anybody. He he would just treat everybody equal, and he just he was just a true. You know, just a true gentleman at, at all times. I mean, he just, he was just totally, you know, he, he was just, he, he was 
very unselfish, very unselfish person. Finally, what did you learn from him during your four years as his teammate, both from a, a quarterback perspective and from a professional football player's perspective? Uh, probably what I learned from him is that uh, I should have studied more. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, I, I just I, I could not. He, he's such a student of the game. Uh, he, I mean, he just. He, he was just so analytical. He just studied the game film all the time. You know, you can never be overprepared. Uh, and, and just a true professional, a, a quiet, confident. Um, you know, he wasn't a loud, you know, um, uh, wham, bam, loud, mouthy uh, leader, as you know, as some people say you should be. Just a quiet, confident, uh, and demanded. You respect what well, he demanded. You just gave it to him. Um, just a, he, just a student of the game. I mean, some of the calls I would, you know, back in those days we all called. You know, we all called our own plays, but the, you know, the, the game plan wasn't near as extensive then as it is today. And whether it was Zeke Bratkowski or or myself or you know the whoever quarterbacks the quarterbacks were standing on the sidelines, probably two or three out of five plays we could call the same play that Bart was going to call. That's how um, you know attuned we were with the quarterback meetings we had with Coach Lombardi. But some of the calls that he made at the inopportune, I mean, just the right call at the right time, one in a thousand, he, you know, and, and I, I would just feel awe of, of how smart he was and how attuned, I mean, just tuned in to the uh, when to call it, where to call it, what to set it, you know, set it up here, set it up there. And, you know, one of the plays that comes to mind is that great call that he gave to um, uh, Chuck Mercine on the give play. Uh, in, in that ice bowl right towards the end of the game. Chuck almost scored on it. I think he got knocked, knocked out of the one-yard line. But that was a give play, and that could have very easily been stuffed for a loss or even a fumble if um, if uh, Bob Lilly didn't, uh, didn't, didn't follow that guard and pull and leave his hole like he did. And when Bart called that play, I mean, at the right time, oh, it was just, I just couldn't believe it. But uh, that's, way, that's the kind of quarterback he was. Only other quarterback that I've met or even know, even would mention today, that has the same work ethic as Bart had is, um, would be Peyton Manning, I would say. Peyton is a student of the game like no other quarterback today is. It's pretty high praise. Thanks so much, Don, for your time tonight and uh, talking about your career as well, sharing some memories about the great Bart Starr. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To, looking forward to going back for the uh, for the alumni weekend and seeing all the old guys have a big celebration and a salute. And a lot of festivities to dedicate to such a a great human being, Bart Starr. I tell you, there's only only be one of him forever. I'll tell you, if if you've never gone to Lambeau, that would be a weekend to go for sure. It's an amazing, amazing. You know, it's an event to go see a Packers game. Don, thanks so much. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. Thank you very much. You got Don Horn, former Green Bay Packer quarterback.